Hello again, how are you? What a fabulous month it's been since the last episode with Dial M for Murder, Priscilla, Jamie and the amazing four-star Made at Curve staging of Cat on Hot Tin Roof, just some of the highlights. So before we start, a reminder that there is so much more to come. You can find out all the details in the latest brochure or go to curveonline.co.uk. Now in this episode we're going to meet producer Tanya Agarwal to preview Curve Resident Creatives' Burnt Lemon Theatre's multi-award winning musical Tokyo Rose. We'll also catch up with Curve's artistic director Nikolai Foster with some exciting news on the Christmas show A Chorus Line and a brand new Made at Curve production of another favourite musical to come next year. But first, we'll chat with the actor who had recent success playing the lead role in the sold-out production of The Girl on the Train in the West End. She starred in the Tony Award-winning production of South Pacific alongside Patrick Swayze, Guys and Dolls at London's Piccadilly Theatre, and is well-known in film and television for dramas including the BBC's Game On and EastEnders and ITV's gritty crime drama Liverpool One. She'll soon be playing the evil white witch in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, which opens its UK and Ireland tour at Curve from the 2nd to the 13th of November. She is, of course, Samantha Womack. How are you, Sam? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, it's a first job for me out of lockdown, so it's... um... It's quite something. Yeah, I was going to say that because the girl on the train was 2019. So had you yeah. finished the run of that or was it still? did it still have some dates left to go? No, we'd finished um, and literally had had that kind of that, that Christmas, uh, which was fairly normal. And then obviously um, COVID hit shortly afterwards. And so I had a couple of productions and some filming that was, I think I managed to do one kind of comedy series because they were being very clever on their COVID precautions, but all the other theatre things that I was affiliated with were cancelled. So this has been the one that's, uh, yeah, kept going and finally has materialised. So it's... It's very exciting and it's very overwhelming, actually. We could talk all day about the incredible career you've had so far. And I guess it must be the diversity of stuff that you've done that keeps it fresh for you. For example, I didn't see you in the Adams family, but that was very different to the girl on the train, which is, of course, very different to the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. This is a departure for me, really. It's I, I've... She's a really interesting, because uh, you get very easy to play her as a kind of generic bad character, but because of C.S. Lewis's writing and also Michael Fentiman, who's directing, has just um, collaborating with the most incredible design team I think I've ever worked with. They're just, their vision of this production is magical, it's dark, it's unusual, it's like the natural world um, and it's uprising so it feels very apt and it's a very physical part for me, there's a a lot of flying, Um, she kind of levitates above the ground for some of the the kind of Turkish delight scenes and but she she's a really complicated character and she's operating from a place of fear um, of kind of uh, you know not being immortal and so she works out this very young and um, vulnerable individual who also has greed and um, inferiority in his DNA and she smells it and she manipulates that and uh, it's just it's a really wonderful way to get back to work because it feels celebratory of the theatre I think visually sound wise we heard some of the musicians and we've got lots of playing musicians uh, who are also the actors in the show and they played some of the the music yesterday it's just breathtaking and also incredible choreography kind of hip-hop 
esque kind of modern dance. But it, I think the whole thing is just going to look and feel like a real celebration of being back in the theatre. And of course, the writing of C.S. Lewis was so incredible. There can't be many children or adults, for that matter, who haven't read the whole series. And I know this is something that's been special for you for a very long time, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I think most of um, most of the people I speak to have memories of the of the book. But what's interesting is the book conjured up such strong imagery that I was convinced. I know there was a production that Tilda Swinton um, did an incredible portrayal of the of the Queen, but she, but um, I actually hadn't seen that and visually in my mind the book was still so strong that I almost felt as if I had seen a, a, a film because I remember the details so clearly which is incredible thinking probably the last time I read that book was you know 15-20 years ago so you think wow I mean I, I remember really clearly um, the kind of departure into Narnia the sounds the feelings the warmth and power of Aslan um, the kind of terror of the queen but also the metaphor you know this kind of children who are feeling isolated and segregated it's a it's a it's a piece about uprising and gaining strength and a coming together and i think that's really what i'm looking forward to with this production i think it's going to feel very much like a a huge extravagant piece which is dark and light it reminds me of game of thrones almost it's kind of got that otherworldly feel to it certainly the palette that they're using for the designs really kind of natural and woody and dark and and warlike and in fact the queen starts off as a kind of almost 1920s movie star while she's still in control and in power and she starts to melt basically throughout the production and she becomes a, a bit like a warlord you know she suddenly starts becoming quite feral and pagan and that's something that we're working on with the designers at the moment and they're just they're, they're phenomenal characters to bring to life from a design point of view so I'm, I'm just really excited. And you've got kids of your own. They're not kids anymore, I have to say. No, they're not. They're L- tall. Lily Rose and Thomas. Uh, 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 was it a book or a series of books that you recommended to them? Did they read it when they when they got to teenage years or later on? They both read, um, well, I read Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe to them, definitely. Um, my daughter, she's studying at Lipper, interestingly. So when we, we do a residency at the Lowry in Manchester for six weeks around Christmas, so she'll be just a hop, skip and a jump away. So I'm hoping that she brings... Um, lots of our classmates and um, comes to the theatre there but we're lucky in as much as we, we're playing all the big theatres because we've got the flying and we've got trapeze and we've got all sorts of things so we're getting to, to play some really beautiful places and the curve is you know one of my favourites I, I came there with um, Girl on the Train was the last time I was at the curve but I think it's really going to suit this piece so yeah we're all really excited well it's good to hear that the showbiz dynasty of your family will continue into the next generation of course it goes back several generations already now the other thing i was thinking about this particular piece is that because of c.s lewis's writing the images that that conjures up in every reader's head and the fact that many many people have read this it makes it the perfect piece doesn't it for a for a theater audience yeah, I think that's right. It's a kind of it's a it's it's a common tale that most people know. So that's always great in terms of security um, for box office. But I think what's interesting now is this idea of the natural world that we've all become so much more attached to during lockdown. I think fantasy and nature um, are topics that people are really kind of 
interested in at the moment. And so I, I think topically it's going to be a really good one to bring to theatres. And of course, you're in rehearsals right now. What's that <laughs> yeah. like? What's it actually like to get back in a rehearsal room? Honestly, I was, I'm fine when I'm working, when I'm doing the scripts. And, but I find, I found, I, I am finding that um, just... Uh, lots of different energy levels in the room, lots of people in the room, lots of kind of multitasking. These are all things that we all used to be able to do quite easily, but it's it's overwhelming. I have to keep kind of taking myself off and sitting myself down and just kind of, you know, breathing and, and working my way through it because I'm not quite up to the speed that I was running at before the pandemic hit and I think that's the same for everyone we're almost kind of amazed at how quickly we were tearing around and so what's lovely is that um, I'm right by we're rehearsing right by Hampstead Heath which is I've got lots of family here and it's a huge open green space so I'm, uh, I'm getting lots of walks in in the morning and the evening so that's that's a really nice part of um, ending rehearsal days. Well, look, we're really excited about seeing you back in Leicester at Curve, 2nd to the 13th of November, um, as uh, the evil is a great character to play. The <laughs> she evil. definitely is not evil. She's mis- a misunderstood queen. Yeah, you can say that. The evil white witch in The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. Sam, thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Tokyo Rose was a Next on the Curving Conversation podcast, we're going to turn back the dial to 1949 and one of the most controversial trials in American history. On the 18th of October, Curve resident creatives burnt Lemon Theatre bring their multi-award winning musical Tokyo Rose to the theatre. It's the incredible true story of one determined woman who was torn between two worlds and wanted in neither. We'll tell you more about that in a moment's time because joining me now is the producer Tanya Agarwal. How are you, Tanya? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Tell us a bit about Burnt Lemon Theatre, first of all, and how your residency at Curve came about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Burnt Lemon Theatre was founded by Hannah, who is the director of Tokyo Rose, and Cara, who's one of the co-writers on the show, um, back when they were in East 15. And then I sort of joined the company a year later. And we're all about amplifying women's voices and just platforming marginalised stories that you otherwise don't really get to hear. So when we stumbled across either story that felt perfect at the same time we met beth from the curve and she was amazing and so so supportive and because of that we felt like we could apply for the residency and it's been great especially during the pandemic it's just nice to have like a little community and a little family that you feel like you can rely on and you can ask questions to and all that stuff so yeah we're so so excited to bring the show to the curve because this is our first time coming to Leicester, so it's really exciting. So it's not your first time at Curve, because you presented some work earlier, didn't you, at the New Work Showcase. How was that? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, That was amazing. Um, That's for a potential new musical that we might make, so (laughs) I don't want to give give away any spoilers, but that was a really great experience just to be able to try out some work, and especially with all the other resident creatives as well. It was really awesome to see what everyone else was working on. And as resident creatives, how does that relationship work between Burnt Lemon Theatre and Curve? They have quite a few musical companies on on their sort of roster. So we found it really, really helpful to be able to talk to people who've been doing this for a lot longer than we have and for really leaning on them for their experience and their advice. 
and then we're creating I hope exciting and you know dynamic shows that the curve would love to support and have on with them it's a really lovely relationship and it's so friendly and open and Nikolai especially has been so giving with his time and supporting Hannah our director yeah it's it's just really nice to be supported by a venue as big as the curve it's kind of incredible I mean I don't think we would have the confidence really to go on this tour if it wasn't for the support of them and our other two sort of uh, associateships with Birmingham Hippodrome and the Mast Southampton and they all kind of came out because of each other so it's a really nice little network that we've got for support. And you said that obviously everything was interrupted by COVID-19 how Mm. tricky was that for you? That was an interesting challenge Um, we were originally going to go tour this show in 2020 which obviously couldn't happen so that's been really interesting especially doing the whole rewrites process over Zoom which is fun when you're doing a musical (laughs) Um, but it would have felt really really impossible if it weren't for the support of Curve absolutely for sure because it was just even when I'm having like a panic thought I just email Beth and be like is everything ruined and she'd be like no calm down (laughs) everything is fine but yeah the pandemic's been interesting but it's given us a lot of time to really dig into the story and to really explore things that we might not have had time to do beforehand. Well, Tokyo Rose is an exciting story, an exciting new work. I know some of the background to this. Many people will have heard about Tokyo Rose, but they won't know the full story. Um, Tell us how you came across this incredible story of uh, Iva Takuri. Bert Lemon took a show about a female punk rock band to The Fringe in 2018, and Cara, who is the writer of that show and the co-writer of this one, was on the train back home just Googling female radio DJs because we're all about amplifying women's voices. So it kind of just felt like the next step. And that's how she stumbled upon Iva's story. And it was just so amazing and so, like, you if you saw it in a movie, you wouldn't believe it. It's that kind of a story. And the thing that really resonated with me is this whole idea of being torn between two countries and not really fitting in. So I'm... Indian but I grew up in London so this whole idea of being too much of one for the other and I really hope we did that part justice especially this whole idea of being torn between two countries and not really feeling like you fit in. And that's not the only relevant theme is it as well because many people will know Tokyo Rose was a name given by allied troops in the South Pacific during the Second World War to what was effectively a female English-speaking radio channel of Japanese propaganda misinformation if you like. This was in wartime but of course now we're still talking about misinformation and fake news call it what you will so those themes are still relevant aren't they? Oh yeah I mean Absolutely. I think what we really do explore is whether she actually did broadcast any propaganda of actually she actually was on the Allies side. So she like very cleverly hid in her broadcast messages about there's actually going to be a bombing at this beach at this time. Make sure your troops aren't there. That kind of a thing. So she was sort of like a secret hero and she doesn't really get any credit for doing that sort of work. But I'd also say the other really relevant theme is especially with COVID has really thrown out some really horrible negative stereotypes about East Asian people and so we we really hope that this story gives the community something back and actually helps against this because it's it's really horrific the the amount of hate crime that's gone up because of misinformation like you said and of course that sort of discrimination and those sort of hate crimes were happening in the united states during the second world war iva's background was that she was an american citizen born to japanese parents and she'd actually returned to japan just before pearl harbor to look after an aunt 
Obviously, once Pearl Harbor happened and the war with Japan started, she couldn't get home. She took a part-time job as a typist at Radio Tokyo and then eventually broadcast using the name Orphan Anne. But her own parents back in the United States were sent to an internment camp in Arizona and it was a really difficult time for anybody of Japanese heritage in the United States, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a part of history that we just never get taught about, about these internment camps that the Americans ran and... Iva's mum actually passed away in one of those camps so she never really got to see her ever again. It's really sad and really horrific and it kind of brings back to mind these horrible detention centres that the Americans run now. Yeah, it's just shocking because you just don't learn about it at all, really. And it sounds to me like this is a show which will continue to develop. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're in our first week of the rehearsals and I still think things are being rewritten and changed. So it'd probably be a very different show from when we started rehearsals. But because it is a true story, there's always such a deep mine of things that you can look into and subsets and offshoots that you could start to explore. So I think we will we'll be constantly looking at different avenues of it and just really getting to grips with the epic history behind it all. And what can audiences expect in terms of the style of music? Oh, it's really catchy, really sort of poppy and electric, but also has all these little influences from like Japanese classical music and things like that. So it's a really eclectic but really vibrant mix of of music and it's um now available on spotify as well so it'd be really great if you guys could all check it out we'll hear some more of it in a moment's time but as it's available now to download what's the reaction been what sort of feedback have you had oh it's just been it's been really great i think what's been really lovely in particular is the people who came to see the one hour version at the fringe 2019 and having them listen back and be like oh this song is so much better now and it's so great to actually hear how much it's changed and for us in particular being able to do a cast album is just it's just so out of our wildest dreams that it's really, really lovely to have a memento of, of what we've been working on. And yeah, the feedback's been incredible so far. And the company as well, you know, the actors, the creatives, everybody involved with Burnt Lemon Theatre. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a tight team, isn't it? And that helps with that sort of creative process. Yeah, we work very, very collaboratively. So everyone has a say in everything. We try to operate a democracy as much as possible in the rehearsal room. And especially because most of our cast members are East Asian and most of you actually speak Japanese as well. So we're always willing to kind of take on feedback on actually that line of Japanese should read like this or this tone is inappropriate for this part or whatever. It's been amazing to really have that collaborative process and to trust each other with that. And I guess the key to all this and much of the work that you do, if not all the work you do, is you tell important stories that need to be heard, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I I believe that all theatre is sort of inherently political and I think if, you, if you're not telling a story that needs to be told, then kind of what's the point? Um, and that's sort of the ethos we take going forward in our in our work. And especially women's stories, because over time, well, history has been written by men and that balance has to be redressed, doesn't it? No, that's exactly right. I mean, I did a history degree. So, yeah, it was a very frustrating thing to study about. So it's definitely something that we keep in mind, especially with historical narratives, is that who's actually doing the story what are the sources that we're reading and what's missing well i'm looking forward to seeing it i'm sure audiences will flock to see tokyo rose when it comes to curve on monday the 18th of october tanya thank you so much for talking to us thank you so much for having me We are gathered here today in a search for justice. Iva Taguri, 
commonly referred to as Tokyo Rose, has been charged with eight overt acts of treason. The defendant has been accused of broadcasting propaganda on behalf of our enemies in Tokyo to American men in the Pacific. The war ended four years ago, but today we continue fighting for our lost soldiers, fighting for freedom, for liberty, for America. We've been waiting for this moment. That's Hang Her Head in Shame from Tokyo Rose, which comes to curve on Monday the 18th of October. Now, finally on this episode, let's catch up with the artistic director at Curve, Nikolai Foster, who is incredibly busy at the moment, planning the forthcoming seasons, casting for shows like A Chorus Line, and putting the first pieces together in terms of design, creatives and so on for a much-loved contemporary musical which will be made at Curve next year. More about that in a moment's time. First of all, Nikolai, how are you? I'm really good, Martin. It's great to talk to you as always. Now, I said how busy you are to start with, but I don't think many people will know that you actually worked as a volunteer uh, doing vaccinations during COVID-19. So on behalf of everybody who benefited, a big thank you for something that must have been quite difficult, but also rewarding at the same time. Yeah, well, um, you're like very welcome. And it was my absolute pleasure. And I was very humbled to take part. It was New Year's Eve, actually, and I just felt such a sense of relief that we'd got to the end of the year and Curve was still standing and we were sort of starting to sort of think about what the future might look like. And I just remember sort of thinking, but I wish I could do something to really help. You know, we're doing everything we can as a theatre to keep the theatre alive and keep being creative and staying connected to our communities and audience but what can I personally do as an individual and I was scrolling through Twitter you know as you do when you're a little bit bored and your mind's wandering and I saw this sort of call out on St John's Ambulance to join the Green Army and take part as potentially a volunteer vaccinator and then it just began this most extraordinary journey you know sort of acres of application forms to fill out and then when you get through that part of the process you do about 10 hours of online learning, which is all NHS nursing stuff, which was absolutely incredible to have that insight into. And then the big day arrives. It's like going to meet the sort of leading actor when we went for our training day up in Nottingham. And, you know, the morning's all your sort of health and safety and, you know, resource bits. And then in the afternoon, it's like the star actor arrived when finally we're going to test actual inoculation and learning how to actually jab somebody you know we we use these sort of mannequins and then I thought oh blimey what on earth am I doing thinking I actually have the willpower to inject somebody because I'm you know I'm frightened of needles but you know you really have to just get on with it and it is an altruistic exercise in just putting all of your sort of selfish you know worries or concerns to one side and felt really good after that training day and from there you're just dispatched out into anywhere from a, a scout hut to a pharmacy once you've done a couple of inoculations then you're away and amazing meeting such friendly people i think often when we watch the news It seems like the world is just filled with doom and gloom and everybody's angry. But actually, when you're out there meeting real people away from the theatre and, you know, meeting some of our audiences as well, I guess, has been incredible. I'm really proud to have been part of it. And they say that, you know, we're going to be doing the boosters and 
the flu jab soon. So maybe gearing up for a few, you know, volunteering sessions at the weekends coming up. Well, talking of warm and friendly people and the Curve audiences, how does it feel to actually get real people back in the building, the cafes open again, and, you know, we're as close to normal as we've been for 18 months? Oh, my goodness. It really is astonishing. I mean, sometimes you it just feels completely normal i mean when you see like the kids coming in the morning for a workshop and then you know actors are arriving for rehearsals and then the cafes open and people are popping in for a coffee and then the over 55s ladies are coming for their dance class and then the youth theater arriving in the evening and then you know there's a cat on the hot tin roof artist response pieces being rehearsed you just sort of think oh it's back to normal and you sort of don't give it a second thought but then, of course, when you do take a breath to think about each of those things, they all have such significance and extra weight, given everything we've been through. And for some people, just popping in for a coffee or coming to do a workshop or indeed coming to see a show might be a huge thing in their life that might be the first time they've been out so it's an enormous responsibility for all of us that we make the venue feel as safe as it possibly can and as always we want to be welcoming and we want to entertain people and take them out of the ordinary every day and give them a really special and unique experience so it feels I suppose it's always felt really special to feel that building alive and buzzing with people but now it has extra poignancy and extra weight given everything we've all been through and yeah long may it continue i mean there's always that constant fear isn't there of more lockdowns or more restrictions but to be honest we just have to keep going and find a really positive way to navigate all of the challenges which um, sort of are laid at our door almost every day, I have to say. Well, the old adage, the show must go on, is there for good reason. Nothing can stop theatre realistically. You proved that with the stream performances of The Colour Purple and Sunset Boulevard. But, you know, everybody's already getting excited about Christmas, Nikolai, and a chorus line. I am a big fan of the music of Marvin Hamlish. He famously collaborated with a number of people, but he's just a great songwriter and a chorus line is packed with fantastic songs. How excited are you about getting into the rehearsal room for this? Very excited. It it just felt like the right show to do at this time. It's a play, as you know, that celebrates theatre and one of those famous songs, you know, perhaps one of Marvin Hamlish's most well-known songs, What I Did For Love, Mm -hmm is really the heartbeat of the whole play. It's a celebration of all the people who make theatre, the unseen members of the ensemble, the stage managers, the director, all of the artistry that goes into putting on a show. And it takes place in an empty theatre. And it just felt like it was the perfect time to do a chorus line coming out of this pandemic. We've battled through all of this time to save our theatre and make sure there's a theatre in the cultural quarter now and well into the future after, you know, this terrible time. And this show just feels like the ultimate feel-good celebration of what we've all done for love over the last 18 months. And it really is one of the greatest musicals. And if you're interested in theatre and if you like the theatre and you work in the theatre, it's sort of encapsulates all of our journeys into the theatre and why we do it and the sweat and the blood and the tears and the joy and the ecstasy 
you know, when the piece was first written in the 1970s, it was radical because the idea of putting the chorus members on stage and hearing their stories and crafting a show out of those real life stories was something quite radical. And the piece absolutely stands the test of time and the way that Hamlish and Michael Bennett, the director and the writers structure the piece. It's very, very filmic. So in 2021, it feels very contemporary and very fresh. Yeah, it's just an honour to be working on it at this theatre we all love and we're going to see the space, you know, in, you know, we see the space naked and open and without set every day. But, you know, to show that to the audience, a bit like we did on film with Sunset Boulevard, I think is a really powerful thing to be able to see the majesty and the brilliance of that venue and it sort of all its naked glory, really. That's something that's really exciting about a chorus line as well. Well, it really is a singular sensation, no pun intended, and packed with fabulous songs. I Hope I Get It is another good example, which comes, of course, during the audition process. I'm sure many of the people auditioning for you were thinking the very same thing. How was that? process well the casting process we actually ask the actors a bit like they do in the show to tell us their life story so it really was sort of life reflected in art and art reflecting life in the most vivid way so in auditions it was a real privilege some of the stories we heard of people's lives and journeys into the theatre and some of the triumphs and tragedies they faced was really humbling and deeply inspiring and then yeah we've ended up with my goodness it really is a sort of Rolls Royce casting isn't it Carly Mercedes Dyer playing Cassie Adam Cooper I mean I sort of can't get my head round (laughs) the fact I'm going to be working with Adam Cooper I mean it's very rare that I'm starstruck I think it's probably because he comes from the Royal Ballet and Matthew Bourne's company so I I personally, I'm overwhelmed at the prospect of working with somebody who has changed the course of history with their art in the way that Adam Cooper did first at the, as a principal at the Royal Ballet, but then obviously dancing with Matthew Bourne's company and creating some of those iconic roles like the Swan in Swan Lake. And, you know, very rarely, because this character of Zach, who is the director who is auditioning for this show and uh, this show that we never hear about and we never hear the title of and is getting these young actors to tell their stories. He's a director choreographer in the old fashioned sense of Broadway, you know, like Jerome Robbins was with West Side Story. It's very rare that you have an actor in a chorus line who can really dance the role of Zach as well as act it. And in Adam, we have both of those forces combining in the most sort of majestic, muscular, strong way. And he's such a magical being. I went to see him in Singing in the Rain a few weeks back at Sadler's Wells. He was playing Don Lockwood and he's just majestic. And Mm. yeah, it was so, so blessed to have him leading the company. And yeah, I mean, every single person on the line, you're just sort of, wow, this is dynamite. They're literally going to blow the roof off 
you know, many of them had many other choices on the table and were really blessed that they chose to come to Leicester and be in a chorus line this Christmas. Well, I have to say we're really excited about it. And audiences will flock to Curve from Friday the 3rd of December up to uh, New Year's Eve, Friday the 31st of December. There are a couple of links in there as, as well to mention. Of course, the movie was famously directed by Leicester's own uh, Richard Attenborough. Um, of and course, I missed that. With the movie link as well, of course, Adam Cooper played the older exactly. Billy Elliot. And of course, Billy Elliot is another fantastic show to be excited about, not just for audiences, but for you as a director, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think for audiences and for our theatre, it really is a landmark moment in that, you know, this play received this astonishing production by Stephen Daldry and for Stephen and the team at Working Title to give Curve the rights to present a brand new production of Billy Elliot, the first brand new production in the UK, is a really momentous sort of moment in the history of our theatre and is a real testament to everybody's hard work and skill that the theatre is now at a level where we can pitch for a play like Billy Elliot and we can get it. It's something we should all be very proud of, I think, all of us in Leicester. And it uh, brings some fabulous creatives. Obviously, it's not cast yet because it doesn't open until uh, July of next year. But Lucy Hind, uh, amazing choreographer, and uh, people like Ben Cracknell, of course, who is a, a Curve associate um, looking after the lighting design. So a great team of creatives already. I've sort of been aware of Lucy's work for many years, sort of um, seeing bits up at Leeds Playhouse and hearing many great things about her. And then a couple of years ago, it must have just been sort of just before the lockdown, they were opening Girl from the North Country, which was a beautiful musical crafted around the songs of Bob Dylan and Lucy choreographed that. And it was absolutely sublime. And it just felt like the right energy and Lucy's work and her approach to working with young people and bringing the best out of our young company and our professional company and working and collaborating with all of the team just felt like the perfect fit and yeah Ben's a genius in terms of what he can do with light and Colin Richmond the stage designer it feels just yeah it feels sort of mind-blowing and I've just started my research and just carved out a few days in January to go up to Easington and to um, hopefully meet some people um, who were connected with the mining community and, and really sort of immerse and learn about the world that we're going to be presenting on stage. Because obviously that's so important that the representation of this history is accurate and done with real integrity. And all of us obviously working on the play really feel that is so important and I mean it's just so British isn't it I was talking to somebody the other week that said that Doldry had said that Billy Elliot works because British culture runs through the veins of that piece whether it's the script or the music or the idea of it it's that is all of us this diverse brilliant hard-working countries sort of captured in that play. We talked about Marvin Hamlish with the chorus line, but the music of Elton John is just fabulous, isn't it? It really is. And I think his 
music, his art is in all of our souls. So the minute you hear electricity for the first time or expressing yourself for the first time or solidarity for the first time, you sort of already know it. You, you go, well, I know that song, even though I'm hearing it for the first time, because again, he is one of our greatest singer-songwriters of all time and, or, or frankly, anywhere in the world, you know, his music is in your cultural sort of psyche, I guess. And it's about the human experience. It's about struggle. It's about triumph. It's about joy. It's about making really difficult choices and not everything sort of being wrapped up in a nice, neat yes or no world. It's about the complexity of life. And I think that's why people really respond to it there's a real honesty about all of it i'll tell you what we're really excited about both of these made at curve productions a chorus line opens on friday the 3rd of december this year and billy elliott opens on the 7th of july 2022 nikolai thank you so much for talking to us thank you it's my pleasure thanks for having me and i'm afraid another episode has come to an end thank you so much for listening remember to subscribe through your favorite podcast app or go to curveonline.co.uk I hope you can join me next time. But before then, there are lots of exciting shows at Curve in October, including Matthew Bourne's The Midnight Bell, Jody Prenger in Tommy on a Sunday, Darren Brown and the Olivier Award nominated The Tiger Who Came to Tea and many others. So enjoy all of that and I'll see you next time for more Curve in Conversation. Curve in Conversation.